morning, church. Well, I will tell you one thing. It is a pleasure to be standing in front of you today to minister the word to you this morning because you have served me well. And speaking of serving you all, if you are a member of this church, you have five men who have committed their lives to you and are serving you well. And I hope you all know that. And they have invited me to preach this morning, and we come to John 15. If you have your Bibles, please open them to John 15. This is the last of our I Am sermons in the I Am Statement series, and I pray that the Lord would make this clear for us today. John 15, we will be looking at verses 1 through 11 today. If you can, please stand for the reading of the word of God. Hear the words of Christ. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the, branch that can, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Our God, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Not only have you given us your son as a sacrifice, but we gather here today to hear his words that we may be changed by them. Open our eyes to understand your word and that everything that we proclaim and sing and pray today pleases you. We submit to you and your spirit as we are your people and you are our God. Give us grace to heed what you say to us today. Amen. You may be seated. At the turn of the century, the 20th century, that is, two young men set out to make the first controlled aircraft. By controlled, I mean it wasn't subject to the wind. They wanted to be able to maneuver it and control it via manpower. The thing is, they needed one thing, lift, to accomplish one thing, controlled flight. They needed both of these things in order to, they needed the one thing lift to accomplish the one thing, controlled flight. We know these two brothers, Orville and Wilbur, and we know them as the Wright brothers, and they made history by flying the first controlled aircraft in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Similar to these brothers, we as Christians need one thing to fulfill one very important purpose. The writers of the Westminster Shorter Catechism found from scripture that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
Notice they didn't say the chief ends of man are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. They are, it is a dual-sided purpose for us to, in, to glorify God and thus enjoy him forever. To, before we get into John 15, I wanted to give a little background. Uh, if you were to look at this chapter all by itself, it seems like the disciples shouldn't have any problem here hearing the words of Christ. But context is key here because they are being shown that they need one thing to accomplish that one purpose of glorifying God and enjoying, enjoying him forever, and that is abiding in Christ. They need to abide in Christ if they have any hope of glorifying God and enjoying him for eternity. As Pastor Adam mentioned last week, Jesus just told his disciples that one of them would betray him and one of them would deny him. Well, that conversation took place while they were sharing a Passover meal, which we call the Lord's Supper, just before Christ's arrest and his death on the cross. To console them, Jesus explained that he is the only way to the presence of God and that they have no need to fear the future because of that fact. In chapter 14, Jesus says that he will, he will then leave them and send his Holy Spirit as their helper in his absence. And now we come to chapter 15, where if you can imagine, the disciples have in the back of their mind, well, Jesus just said that one of us is going to betray him. Then he said another of us is going to deny him. And now, now he's saying he's going to leave us. If you can imagine, they're quite confused and distressed by all that Jesus is starting to unload on them, which is why I think it's very important that we recognize this in order to understand John 15. If you look at the last line of John 14, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Well, where is Jesus going? Where is he taking the disciples? We know from the other gospels that Jesus is taking them to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane was where Jesus spent his final hours before being arrested and being taken to the cross. While Jesus is making this swift ascent to Calvary, the disciples are losing their grip on their friend and their savior. He's telling them to hold on to him, to abide in him, while all of a sudden he's going to be gone soon. Now, now you can see how this is a little bit shocking for them. But Jesus is teaching the disciples the necessity of remaining in close relationship, in close relationship with him for God's glory and their joy. What was true for the disciples remains true for us, which is the thrust of our time in the word this morning. We must abide in Christ if we are to glorify God and be filled with joy. We must abide in Christ if we are to glorify God and be filled with joy. But what are the elements of abiding in Christ? The text here gives us three. Abiding in Christ has one requirement, one negative repercussion, and one result. One requirement, one negative repercussion, and one dual-sided result. The one requirement for abiding in Christ comes in verses one to five, which is this. Christ must be our source. Christ must be our source if we are to abide in him. Before we get to where Jesus makes this clear, we must understand the parable that he's laying out for his disciples here which shows that he is the only one qualified to be this source for them. 
For clarification by source, I mean the place from which we draw understanding or direction or an example of obedience as Christians. Christ is the origin or the source of all of those things for us. Unlike his past few I am statements that we've been going through in recent weeks, Jesus tells this parable in a little bit more of an intimate setting in the sense that he is calling us branches which are connected to the vine. We are connected to Christ and we are constantly drawing nutrients from our Savior. Hear the words of Christ in verse one. I am the true vine. Why is he the true vine? Why doesn't he just say, I am the vine? Well, we see from the Old Testament that the symbol of a vine or a vineyard is incredibly symbolic for the people of God. God calls his people a vine that he tends, that he cares for. We see this in Israel, and we'll see this from a few passages here today. Turn with me to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5, 1 to 4, we'll look at at it briefly about how God, again, calls his people a vine or a vineyard. Isaiah 5, 1-4. Follow along with me. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and he cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield wild grapes, why did it, when I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? So again, this vine analogy is not new necessarily, for God calls his people Israel a vineyard, which he cares and tends for, but they produce wild grapes that were no good. Similar language like this is used in Isaiah 27, Hosea 10.1, and Jeremiah 2.21 to show that the Lord expended himself to tend for this vine or this vineyard, but it produced nothing to show that Israel failed at bringing him glory because of their disobedience. In this way, Jesus is the true vine because he did what Israel could not do for thousands of years, which is bring God glory through lifelong, humble obedience. Jesus is the better Israel. And God, once again, sets his hand to tending the branches that are connected to this vine, which are us, the people of God, are connected to this vine and he's tending us. And yet our source is not like Israel, who was disobedient. Our source was the fully obedient son of God. I like what William Hendrickson says in his commentary on this passage. He says, it takes a son of God to make a son of God. I would add, it takes a true son of God to make true sons and daughters of God. Only Jesus can be the source for the people of God in order for them to bear fruit that is God glorifying. So it's not dependent upon us to be the true vine when Christ has already been the true vine for us and we are connected to him. With this in mind, Jesus goes on to say in verse two, back in John 15, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away 
and every branch that he does, he prunes, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The Father is committed to making this vine as productive and as fruitful as it possibly can be. And he does this in two ways. He takes away and he prunes. Thankfully, we have two men who are examples of this taking away and this pruning for us. Those are Judas and Peter. Judas was a man who was one, considered one of Jesus Christ's disciples. He followed with him. He heard him teach. And yet, he did not bear the fruit of being changed by Jesus Christ. And thus he was taken away. When he betrayed Christ, he was taken away from fellowship with him, never to return again because he ended up killing himself. Peter, on the other hand, was being changed by Christ. Peter believed that Jesus was the Christ, and yet he still had sin that had a foothold in his heart. But ultimately, when he denied Christ, he was restored back to Christ in John 21, 15 to 19. You remember this passage when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, I know that you love me. And Jesus responds, feed my lambs. This was Jesus restoring Peter for his faults and failures and putting him in a place where he was pruned for what he did. What was not God glorifying was taken away. And yet he was made even more fruitful because in Acts, we see that Peter ends up proclaiming the name of Christ to thousands of people rather than denying him. So we see how the Lord grew Peter immensely through his own fault and his sin. Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines us because he loves us. And, and here in, in John 15 too, we see that he disciplines those he loves for the purpose of being more fruitful later on. In concert with this, Jesus tells the disciples in verse 3 that listening to these words has a purifying effect on them because it readies them to bear fruit rather than being fruitless like Judas. In verses 4 and 5, this is where we begin to see how Jesus must be our source if we are to have any hope at glorifying God. We acknowledge that that's our one purpose in life. If that's the one purpose for man, we have to have a way to go about fulfilling it, and Christ is that way. Jesus gives this imperative, abide in me and I in you, which seems relatively straightforward, but do we truly know what, what abiding really means? To abide is to remain or continue or to dwell in a place. But how do we abide in a person? Essentially, Jesus is telling us, his, us and his disciples, hold fast to what I say. Remain in relationship with me. Continue trusting me and keep obeying my commands as I continue to dwell in you. Do this and you will be fruitful. Then and only then, will we be a glory-producing branch that pleases God? He is the vine, and we are the branches. We cannot get this mixed up. He is the life-giving vine. We are the fruit-producing branches. Here's a quick little riddle to solve. What do a car, a, an electrical outlet, and a garden hose have in common? A car, electrical outlet, and a garden hose. Well, all of these things without their respective power sources are utterly useless. A car without fuel cannot drive. Now, some of you car nuts are here thinking, well, if it's on a hill and it's in neutral, it'll go. Well, gravity is the power source then. 
An electrical outlet without a charge, without electricity, cannot transfer a charge to something else. And a garden hose disconnected from a faucet cannot move any water. Similarly, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. If we are disconnected from Christ, we are utterly useless for his glory. Is it not like God to show us that apart from him, we can do nothing and we are useless? We must realize that we can never fool God in this department. It's a rather dangerous place to be, to be a fruitless vine because the vine dresser is coming and he will take you away. Yet the promise remains for those who trust in Christ that if we abide in him, we will not be cast into the fire. We will bear much fruit and the vine dresser will be pleased. Many of you are familiar with Psalm 1, which is a similar picture of a a plant growing because of the sustaining power of God. The the tree in Psalm 1 is the, the man who plants himself in the word of God, and it brings forth fruit in its season, and it grows. This is the same language that Uh, John 15, that Jesus is using in John 15. And they highlight the fact that if we have any other source except Christ, we are sorely mistaken. We as Christians sometimes forget where our life comes from, causing us to be sinfully self-dependent. Some of us place our family time or that thing called me time above Christ as if those things are more important for our life to go on, which is not the truth. We fail to understand how much we need the vine in order to survive. So some of you might be asking this question in response to this, this passage. Does that mean as, that I, as a Christian, can suddenly become fruitless and lose my salvation? To that, I would have to give a resounding no, because this passage nowhere talks about a believer who is truly trusting in Christ suddenly becoming fruitless and losing their promised salvation. Instead, this is talking about someone who is loosely connected to Christ or connected to the Christian community, but is not drawing life from Christ on a daily basis, is not relying on him. Those are the trees, uh, the branches that are taken away, and then, as we'll see later, cast into the fire. You remember the, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. This, this talks about something similar. There were seeds that were cast onto rocky soil. There were seeds that were cast and then plucked up by, or then drowned out by weeds. And then there were some that fell on good soil. All of these did grow, but they did not last. The seeds that fell on rocky soil were burnt up by the sun. The seeds that were planted among the weeds were choked out and they had no life. But there were seeds that that were planted on good soil and they grew. Many people come to church and feel close to God from the welcoming people or this big picture of life that they get or just the joy of singing together with other people. But they're merely laying hold of the benefits of Christ and not Christ himself. In reality, you cannot be a true believer in Christ and not bear fruit. Why? Because Jesus is the one giving you the nourishment that you need to bear fruit, namely himself. To clarify what Jesus means by fruit, He's talking about spirit-produced attributes, love, joy, peace, etc. 
Even praising God and changed behaviors such as broken addictions are examples of this fruit. If you are truly spending your life in a relationship with Jesus, he will make you fruitful because he is conforming you to the image of his son. He will do this. If you have seen these changes over the course of your life as a result of abiding in Christ, then you can be assured that you are abiding in Christ while he still calls you to abide further. No other source will do. If you've tried, if you've tried to attach yourself to anything else in hopes that it will bring you joy, you don't need someone up here in the pulpit telling you that those things don't work. Some of you have tried it all and you're sitting here wondering what will give you purpose and joy. You don't need to look any further than Jesus Christ who offers himself freely to you because if you are looking anywhere else, you will not find it. The question for us, church, is do we act as if we would wither without Christ? Do we act as if we would die if we were disconnected from Christ? Or do we go along life saying, I think I'd be okay without this thing called church or without this Lord named Jesus? When people come into this building where we're gathered, do they see people who are depending upon Christ for every life and breath? Another question for some of you would be, are you continuing in the church? Part of abiding in Christ is actually being one of the branches. We're one among many branches here. Paul says in, in his letters that the church is one body of Christ but has many members. We are all a part of that single body of Christ. Abiding in Christ has these glorious benefits. But what about not abiding in Christ? That leads us to our second point in verse six, which is this, the one repercussion, which is judgment for the non-abiding. This drum set back here is considered a percussion instrument, which means you hit it or you exert a force on it in order for it to make sound. A repercussion is the equal and opposite reaction of exerting that force. Like when you throw a ball on the ground, the repercussion of throwing the ball on the ground is it coming back up. Well, the one repercussion for not abiding in Christ, the equal and opposite reaction to that is judgment. We touched on this theme in the last point, but here Jesus makes it very explicit in verse six. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Not only will this fruitless branch be taken away, like Jesus says in verse 2, but it's going to sit and wither, and then it's going to be gathered up and thrown into the fire. Jesus is really lowering the boom on this one. He doesn't want to sugarcoat the fact that there are consequences for not abiding in Christ. The Father removes any of these non-abiding branches from their superficial connection to Christ as if they were just tied to the side of the vine rather than attached to it, receiving life from it. Then they are left to wither. They're left to wither there. Again, not abiding in Christ has consequences. Branches that are not making fruit die and are thrown away. Christ's work metaphorically says to, to those of us who are in this position, Stop what you're doing. I have already been the obedient son. 
connect yourself to me in faith. Remain there and I will make you resemble me in obedience. I will make you bear fruit. If you are not abiding in me, begin abiding in me because I am the true vine. Here's a sad truth. And it's what I hear a lot here in, in St. Mary's County. People say, yeah, I believe. That's what the Bible says. That's all the Bible requires of me. I believe that means I'm good. If you find yourself thinking that, let me simply remind you what James says in James 2, 14 and 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The answer to James's question is clear. No, that so-called faith can save no one. I plead with some of you who are trapped by this to let go of the notion that one moment of faith and a life lived of sin is good enough to get into the presence of God. The Lord is not fooled and sees you as a withered branch without fruit that does not bring him glory. You are not fulfilling the one purpose that God has created you for, and you need Christ. Believe in the crucified and risen Christ, and then abide in him, and you will be rescued from being cast into the fires of judgment when you die. For my brothers and sisters, if you have family and friends who are loosely connected to Christ, and are not showing any signs or qualities of being in Christ, the best thing you can do for them is show them that they are withering and that by not responding to this call to abide in Christ, they are setting themselves up for destruction without even realizing it. I heard someone say just, just this past week, oh, totally, I know I'm going to hell. And as much as that broke my heart, at least that person knows a little of what their life has reaped. What's worse is those perhaps in this room who are shouting, yes, I am abiding in Christ. I believe in Christ. I'm going to heaven because my kids are well-behaved or successful. While your own life is laying on the ground withering because you do not truly trust that abiding in Christ is the one thing necessary to accomplishing glorifying God. If you were looking for good news, here it comes. Jesus does not leave us without the option of hope in this passage. Verses seven through 11 give us the result of abiding in Christ, which is the one result, our, our final point. That God is glorified and we are filled with joy. The more we abide in the vine, the more we come to resemble this source. God was pleased by his obedient son and is now pruning us and shaping us so that we resemble Christ, the true vine and the truly God-pleasing son. As we mentioned before, it takes this true son to make true sons and daughters of God. And Jesus gives us two if statements here that are simply just wonderful promises. The first one tends to throw us for a loop in verse seven. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In the back of my mind, I read this and say, Lord, I, I asked for that job and you did not grant that to me. Or I asked for so-and-so to be healed and they died. And then I skip over a verse like this as if it doesn't really apply to real life. But the truth is, 
that abiding in Christ and keeping his words in front of our eyes continually allows us to better understand what God desires and we begin to desire those same things. As you all know, the discipline of prayer is not simply getting on your knees, but it's looking to scripture to see and allow it to shape how we ask for things and what we want. In doing so, we begin to ask for those things with the same desires that God has. Friends, what joy is there in knowing that Christ is growing us in a way that we can ask the Lord for something that he already desires and he will then grant it to us. If you look closely at the next verse, you should see in your Bibles, maybe right, right next to that little number eight, a very large neon arrow that says, look here. We acknowledged earlier that our purpose is to glorify God. And Jesus starts with this. By this, my father is glorified. It's so clear and it's absolutely thrilling to read this. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Friends, the father is glorified when the people that he sent Jesus to save turn around and they look like Jesus in the world, proving that they're his. You see, this is the masterful planning of God at work right in front of us. God sent his son to save sinners and he wants it proclaimed across the earth. And you know how he's doing that? He is making countless believers who look like his son, Jesus, to do that very thing. And here's the kicker. This is all a miracle because when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we had no hope of glorifying God. And now he is giving us the only way to bring him glory and fulfill our purpose, which is his son. We have Jesus Christ as our source, the true life-giving vine. And this life-giving vine in verse nine and 10 says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Look, Christian, listen, Christian, verse nine, the same love that is shared among the Trinity, among the Godhead, has been shown to us through Christ. And verse 10, as we are continually exposed to that love, we are able to obey fully, just as Christ fully obeyed his father from beginning to end. This is a miracle, the very people who were enemies of God were not only offered this entrance through the one way Jesus Christ into the presence of God, but we've been given the opportunity to please, honor, and glorify God, wretched sinners saved by grace that we are. Out of sheer gratitude, we can obey the commands of God because he has loved us and we love him. I don't know about you, but that is a very, very freeing thing. You and I, who are in Christ, because we have known and experienced his love through salvation, are free to obey God and bear fruit to his glory. And we have been given life to love our Lord back for eternity, for eternity. What's amazing to me is the fact that God right here in, in John 14 is showing us that he is undoing the curse of sin and the fall. Adam and Eve were born into loving obedience of God and they fell into sin. 
and we were born into sin and are being raised and pruned into loving obedience towards Christ. And we can never do that apart from him. And the gathering of believers this morning at Redeeming Grace and across the world are evidence that Christ has worked and is working in a magnificent way. This is why Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. We just addressed glorifying God. Here's where our joy comes. As branches abide in the vine, we are enabled to obey the Father as Christ did for the purpose of our joy being full. What greater joy is there than worshiping and obeying the very God who saved us from eternal condemnation and has given us new life in Christ? The church, this gathered people right here should be the most inexpressibly joyful people on the planet. Not happy necessarily, but joyful. People who talk about God as if he's the best thing that ever happened to them because he is. People who don't respond to life with complaints, but respond with, this is better than I deserve. People who are more caught up with rejoicing in their quote, co-worker's promotion rather than thinking, I wish that were me as if their source of life is their job and not Christ. People who long to confess their sins to God because they know that forgiveness is so sweet. People who are thankful and thankful and more thankful. People who look to the Bible for answers rather than just Google. People who sing or even speak the praises of God beyond the four walls of their church. People who want to be changed because we want to look like Christ. The list could go on. Friends, this is what branches who abide in the vine look like. And we need his grace to bear fruit like this for his glory and for our joy to be full. If you are not abiding in Christ, you do not know truly what full joy is like. This is the one thing that you need to accomplish your one purpose which is to glorify God. You must abide in Christ if you have any hope of glorifying God and escaping judgment. If you are abiding, abide still more that you may be used for the maximum glory of God wherever you are. That's how it worked with the disciples. With the Holy Spirit guiding them, they took the gospel from Jerusalem now to the ends of the earth, which has pleased God. 12 men, God took 12 men to reach the world with the gospel. And guess what? We are connected to the same Christ who is our life. We have that same spirit and we have the same hope that the, that the disciples have, which is when Jesus is gone from here, we can still abide in him for the sake of his glory on the earth. We can still cling to him as our source of life and not worry about the future because we know that Christ abides in us even as we abide in him. Friends, this is our hope as Christians. We do not need to fear being taken off of the vine and being cast in the fire. We have a promised eternal life through Christ. And it has been made possible through Jesus himself who paid the ultimate price of dying for us, dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the dead. That's why we look for him to return expectantly because we know that the vine that we are connected to is alive. And we hope for his return soon. Pray with me.
Our heavenly God, you have provided for us a true vine, a vine full of life that we can rest in and abide in knowing that this is what brings us life and that we are sustained by your son. And Father, I ask that if we find ourselves not abiding in Christ, if we're in a position where we have never trusted in Jesus, that we would cling to him. He offers that freely. God, and I pray that we would lay hold of that. And for those of us who are in Christ and who have experienced the joy of having the chance to obey you and to please you, to please the God of this universe, Lord, I pray that we would stay in the midst of this congregation, in the midst of time with you alone, that we may constantly draw life from you, that we may continue in this life pleasing you and spreading your glory and the message of the good news of Jesus Christ around the earth. In your holy name I pray, amen.